0: Hi, everybody. This is Melissa Groman at the Voices of Recovery Audio Library. And today I am very delighted and excited, actually, to have with me Dr. Emily Sandoz. Um, Emily is uh, an assistant professor of psychology at the University of Louisiana at Lafayette, Louisiana. She's also a therapist who specializes in treating clients using acceptance and commitment therapy, known as ACT, Um, Dr. Sanders is the co-author of Acceptance and Commitment Therapy for Eating Disorders, as well as Mindfulness and Acceptance for Bulimia, and her newest book, which I think has the most awesome title ever, which is Living with Your Body and Other Things You Hate. So that title just grabbed me right off the bat, and I'm so excited, Emily, that you agreed to be here and share Um, share your knowledge and your experience with both Body Hate and ACT, because um, I think that both of those things are so relevant to my listeners. So welcome and good morning. Thank you so much. Good morning to you. Would you start off just by telling us a little bit about your own story and your own research um, as it pertains to Body Hate? I know that um, that is one of the things that you particularly mo- you were particularly motivated by in terms of getting started on on the topic of body and food. Absolutely, um, you know when when
1: uh, when I first started doing my own research uh, in the psychology department um, where I went to undergrad, I was um, was really motivated most by eating. Um, I actually started like like I guess the study of body image overall. I started doing my research in the area of eating disorders. So initially, I was really only interested in body image as it related to disordered eating Um, as a young person I was involved in theater and performing arts and uh, and there would be these beautiful actresses um, you know just beautiful beautiful young women who I would watch in the dressing room and felt kind of humbled by their beauty you know really gorgeous women And uh, I would watch them in the dressing room sort of pick themselves and each other um, apart and uh, and certainly struggled with with more than one, um, you know, sort of episode of eating um, issues and and this kind of struggle. So initially my interest was really in that. um, As my my experience grew, though, in graduate school and I started seeing, you know, lots of different types of clients, um, what I came to understand is how... Um, easily Um, people could come to hate their bodies, um, all the sort of different ways that 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 could come up and all the different ways that it could manifest, Um, you know, that that it didn't, it was sort of easy to see how hating the way that your body looked could cause you to sort of seek men in a way that was unhealthy and that that, um, interfered with your life. Um, but I also noticed, you know, things like people's intimacy would be disrupted. Um, you know, they might not want to be um touched by other people. They might have trouble speaking in front of people, um, you know, it might influence their life in any any number of domains. Um, and that to me was really, really intriguing. Um, Over the, the next probably six or seven years of my development as a therapist and as a researcher, I just became more and more broadly interested in the idea of how difficult it is for us to really live in peace with our bodies, um, that being sort of the ultimate goal, you know, um, not necessarily you the know, opposite of hating your body, I don't think is, you know, thinking that you look beautiful, thinking that every piece of you is perfect exactly like it is, or always being excited about the way that you look or the way that your body works, um, or the things that it's been through, um, you know, and, and uh, that can mean injuries or illnesses or traumas. You know, I don't think the opposite of hate is always being overjoyed with the body you you were born with and live inside of. Um,
0: That's so good because I think that a lot of people think that either you love your body or you hate your body. The concept of peace is so hopeful and so healing. Yeah.
1: Yeah, you know, and and it's, I think it's sort of like, it's sort of like having a relationship with another person um, is the way that, that I talk about it a lot. It's, it's. It's, you know, you don't, the people that you love, that you really love, you know, you just accept them.
0: It doesn't mean that sometimes you
1: don't want to shake them and say, be different. It doesn't mean that sometimes you don't want to go, come on, this is not what I need from you right now. It doesn't mean that there aren't pieces of them that, man, if they would change that, i would make your life so much easier. You know, but you love them anyway um, and you might not make efforts to change those things and some of the things you do make efforts to teach them. You know, I'll also do some couples work and there's a lot of teaching people to teach the other person to be, you know, what they need and to offer what they need. You know, so, so, you know, I think that loving your body is the same kind of thing. as can you can you live and love um, in peace? Um, and that doesn't mean that you're always, you know, happy with it. And that doesn't mean that you don't sometimes feel sad or regretful. And that doesn't mean that you can't uh, feel and mourn for the, the traumas that your body may have experienced um, or the, the functioning that you may have lost. Um, you know, and that can, again, it can look all kinds of different ways. You know, I work with people with chronic pain. I work with people who have um, you know sexual trauma in their history. I work with people who have gender identity struggles. In addition um, to to work that's around bodily appearance um, and eating, and and I think that's really what led up to um, me writing the the last book, um, the Living with Your Body and Other Things You Hate. It's just the universality of it you know, trying to explain to the publishers this is not another eating disorder book. Right. This is for anybody. <laughs> and uh and you mentioned the title and that was that was a big fight, you know? It was like hate, really? I was like, Yes, hate. <laughs> hate. <laughs> not hate. this is not me being melodramatic, you know? No. hate, you know Hate we and
0: are, real pain. Pain in that absolutely. hatred, you know And we oh, really attached absolutely. to it. And to the idea that, you know, somehow, and I was going to ask you this, like, why do we hate, why is there so much body hate? I mean, and really, for for women especially, and I know there are men also who really are in the trenches of an eating disorder, there's a real belief that that body hate is just, it's, it's, actual, it's an actual fact. And it's also, it's also um, the idea that, through hating the body, So that real experience of hate, that that's what's going to heal you and protect you. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that's a wonderful point, Melissa, because that's, I mean, that's where we end up getting really stuck, you know. Um, when when we struggle in those ways, I think, you know, we end up getting really, really stuck in the idea that, that hate is what's going to save us, you know, that, that war, that fight against our bodies. I mean, we position ourselves um, you know, in conflict with our bodies, And these are things that must be sort of wrangled in and punished, and <laughs> almost right. as if, if we sort of trusted our bodies and let our bodies, you know, be as they are, that they would betray us. Um, and I think that that's some of some of what's in the core. I mean, you know, having a body is hard. <laughs> that, sounds <kind> of, <laughs> that sounds kind of silly, but but true. <laughs> you know, it, it really it really is. I mean. You know, we if you think about all the different things that go into, you know, how we think about ourselves, sort of the elements of self, you know, um, there are many, you know, many things that go into how we experience ourselves. And I think our physical self, you know, our physical body um, is a very important one. And it's important for a couple of reasons. Um, one is that it's always there. You know, yep. um, it never goes away. um we are never without a body, even though some of us sort of try to try to try to zone out and leave it at times. You know it's always there um It's an element of self that is constantly constantly present from the day that we become aware of a self um, until the day that we lose awareness of self and and die um it's always always there. Another thing that makes it really important, uh, Melissa, is that it's always changing and without our permission, you know, like, like, you never know what you're going to see when you look in the mirror in the morning. I mean, your hair might be sticking up, there might be like a new blemish on your face, you know, suddenly like there's a pudge that you didn't notice before. You know, you never know, I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, getting older into the the time in my life where I never know how my body's going to feel, you know, when I throw my legs over the side of the bed, you know, am I gonna am I gonna step funny, you know, am I gonna have a pain from, from yoga that I didn't have yesterday? Um, you know, I never know how it's gonna work or be. Um so not only is it always there, but it's almost completely out of our control, you know. Um it it's constantly changing. And and that's without even any any pathology, it's constantly changing, you know?
0: So um, a lot of women I so hear that, and why do you think that that, or what do you think are the causes of that, just to touch the why of it for a few minutes, why do we start hating our bodies so much when they're just bodies, and we need them, Mm. you're right, all the things you said, but how does it transform into hate?
1: Yeah, well, I think it's 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 dangerous. You know, it's dangerous when there's a part of you, and um, when society receives that part of you so readily, it makes makes a um, their impression of you, forms their impression of you so easily and readily. You know, based on this thing, this outward you know appearance or outward functioning. Um, and it's constantly there and outside of your control. You know, it's like it's like this dangerous, sort of threatening thing um, that could change who you are without you know your permission. Um, you know, I think there's there's so many um, there's so many pieces in the social context that are important. I mean, one, like I said, we so readily we so readily judge folks. By what they look like, we notice ourselves doing that, and so we we can you know assume that other people are doing that. We may have had direct experiences of being um, of being judged by by our appearance and we know for example, i mean we can think really you know it 's really obvious to imagine that if one was In a home, for example, or or in a social circle of friends where there was a lot of emphasis on not being fat, for example. Um, You know, we can sort of see how that that would translate um, into that body hate. Um, You know, but... But it works the other way too, like even even homes I mean many of the women that I work with you know can 't recall specific experiences where someone told them that they were ugly or told them that they should hate their bodies or told them that their bodies were bad or ugly or, or unattractive or, or anything like that, you know, sometimes it's just the emphasis on body period, you know, so just being very body conscious or appearance conscious. Um, uh, there's a, a, you know, for example, if I'm, you know, playing T-ball, you know, I'm eight years old and I'm playing T-ball and, you know, I I run the bases and I, you know, go back to, to mom after the, the T-ball game and mom says, oh, you were the cutest little ball player out there, you know, not the fastest, um, you know, not worked so hard, not have really improved since last week, but the prettiest, you know, even being told, even being told that I was cute or pretty in that, in that moment um, could, you know, come to come to shape my experience of myself, where the self, the physical part of it, becomes more and more and more important. Um, and that, that, I think, is, is sort of central, um, is the the focus of, you know, our, our identities being in our bodies. Um, and because it's so uncontrollable and because it's constantly changing and because there are these very rigid standards out in society about what good bodies should look like um, and, more recently, what good bodies should be able to do. You know, we yeah. have a, a, a fitness um, emphasis becoming more and more, you know, more and more prevalent, and uh, it's <laughs> that it's any better um, when it's that rigid. You know, um, so I think is, is that is that better answer, answer Yeah, answer? I mean, and
0: I think it it it's true. You know, we we become very tied up and and mushed up with what's who we are versus what we look like and how to use our bodies and. I, and I think being comfortable in, in our bodies is important it's hard sometimes to differentiate between being comfortable with our bodies and liking our bodies. I mean it seems to me that when we can move comfortably and sit comfortably and sleep comfortably and wear clothes comfortably that that's important. but somehow we lose focus on being comfortable and and what and and being beautiful or being you know very fit or what some image of, in our own minds, we're supposed to have as a body. And I think it gets sure. more confusing what to Absolutely. do with this body.
1: Absolutely. Well, and I mean, if you, if you look at those social contexts a little bit more deeply, if we lean into that... I mean, many of us feel like a sort of social responsibility to be beautiful. <laughs> you know, it's like, how dare you enter our presence? You know, without fashionable clothing, and did you really not wear makeup? Is something wrong? Are you sick? You didn't wear makeup today. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's there's such a such an emphasis. I mean, I think many people feel. You like said a, a even a specific social responsibility to be you know fit or to be beautiful you know um I've worked with uh, a, a few obese clients and you know them sort of feeling like they're hurting people like damaging others by being present and overweight
0: um you know that's that's problematic. <laughs> It is. I, you know, I also think that the body sort of takes a hit all around when it becomes sort of like the catch-all for everything else that we feel afraid of or trying to distract ourselves from or that, or that we feel might be wrong. If it's channeled into how fat our stomach is or how large our thighs are, and that becomes the focus, we can sort of get out of taking a look at what are some of the other things that we value and where else might we need to pay attention to our personal growth. Absolutely, I mean, once we get in that practice
1: so if we if we go back to that eight year old you know and what i'm what I'm praised for is being pretty um and you know that's important to manage that. Um, And you know, when I'm not pretty or when nobody's there telling me I'm pretty, I either, you know, disappear or I feel bad or guilty or, like, I've done something wrong. Um, You know, if I practice that enough and I get this sort of way of managing it, managing my appearance, you know, either through, you know, eating or other struggles or managing my feelings about my body, either through eating or other struggles, um, then one of the things I think that happens is that, any distress, we pull out our, you know, handy-dandy, you know, repertoire that we have already, in some cases a, a sort of growing, you know, disordered eating repertoire, you know, we come to apply that everywhere. So our body comes to stand in for ourselves, you know, our disordered eating or, our, again, you know, whatever the dysfunction is comes to stand in for our sort of coping that we would um, hopefully be developing during this time. So, yeah, if I get an F on a math test, I'm glad. Right. You know, if um, I say something the wrong thing, you know, in front of a teacher and I get embarrassed, then, you know, that feels fat. Um, that comes to stand in for everything, every bad feeling that I could have. And managing that feeling, managing fat comes to stand in for any sort of, you know, good coping, um, you know, good sort of healthy coping that I would develop from feeling all sorts of different feelings, you know, which is just part of development I mean, feeling frustrated and embarrassed and tired and, you know, hopeful and disappointed. And, you know, those are those experiences and being exposed to those experiences over the course of our lives is, is what helps us to develop as human beings, which helps us to learn to be flexible and to be able to pursue the things that we want. Um, I think, you know, in, in, When that goes awry, you know, when we stop feeling everything and start feeling just, you know, fat or thin, which almost, you know, feels like dangerous or safe, um, you know, to many folks. Um, you know, we don't get that learning. And we don't get the learning on either end. We don't learn how to be with all kind of different feelings and to have all kind of different feelings. We also don't learn that other piece of, you know, living our lives in a meaningful and and purposeful way. I think for many people, being thin stands in for, you know, purpose, um, meaning, and and the kind of, you know, deeper things that, that we're gratified by in life. Um, you know, it's, it's, it can really rob you. I mean, this hatred can come to kind of fill up your whole life um, to where it, you know, you're know, you making choices that serve that monster and serve that war that you're at with your body instead of you know, the things that that would really be more important to you when it came down to it.
0: Yeah, and you know, in your book, I see that you talk about freedom, and maybe this is sort of a segue question into the, Um, subject of ACT, which is, you know, a lot of the young women that I work with at certain stages in their eating disorder, and even when they're more well, really do believe fundamentally. It's a thought that is just absolutely fact to the mind that, you know, anybody who's having a conversation like we're having about all the different meanings and possibilities of body hate and they they don't understand. They don't really get how absolutely atrocious and awful their body is or how absolutely crucial and important it is to have a smaller body and that that is really the most important thing and that if they give that up, they would be completely unsafe and that the fact on the ground is that they have a horrible, hideous body and parts of their body are awful and anybody having this kind of a conversation simply doesn't get it. And that thought is a fact. So what, mm-hmm. A, what could you say to that? And B, how does ACT come into this conversation? Yeah. Well, you know, I think the,
1: the what to say to it, um, you know, is, I guess it depends, it depends sort of on the context, you know, I mean, when somebody that I'm working with is very sort of firmly in that, in that place, you know, in Really feeling that stuckness around that that thought, you know, really feeling how how much that thought can sort of swallow everything else up and then sort of looking at me as like sort of being on the other side of that thought, like, you know, uh, like being on the other side of a mountain trying to be like, hello, you know, Um, in that moment you know, my goal is really just to, to hear it, you know, to try my best to be with them and to feel sort of the size and the monstrosity and how easily that thought comes to dominate. You know, it's, it doesn't really, um, in my approach, and, and this is consistent with acceptance and commitment therapy, it's not really about, you know, the, the rationality um, or the verifiability of the thought, you know. It, we, don't really, we don't really go after how true or untrue that thought is. Is. I mean, in the moment that the thought takes over, it's all there is, <laughs> so it doesn't really matter if it's true or false. Um, and people can get just as stuck on very, very true thoughts, um, you know, as as on very, very false thoughts. So different from um, some other cognitive behavioral approaches that really go after, you know, the truth or the veracity or, or rationality of that thought, you know, in ACT, um, what we try to do is just sort of make room for it. Um, it's almost like if you could imagine that what happens you know, in those very stuck rooms when we have these very rigid thoughts is that that thought gets bigger and bigger and bigger in our consciousness until it sort of swallows everything up. You know, we are not, you know, hearing the birds sing. We're not feeling loved, you know, by the people around us. We're not noticing, you know, Anything that's not related to that thought, we might be limited, for example, to the feeling you know the sensory experience might be limited to like the way our clothes feel in our body. you know, do my pants feel a little tighter today? Can I feel you know my skin touching in any area um you know am I hungry? you know do I feel hunger pains so is that you know, is that is that good in this sort of world that I get stuck in you know so What we sort of do is say, okay, well that would be what we call um, cognitive fusion, you know, when those sort of thoughts dominate it, dominate in that way. And the way that we would try to approach that, or, or try to try to address that, is not by changing the thought itself, or going after it. That would be like moving a mountain or trying to blast down a mountain. Um, and these things are these things are tied. They're well in there. And instead, what we're doing is trying to make make room for it. So actually, being able to hold and experience that thought being able to feel all the feelings that come with it. You can almost imagine, you know, expanding, you know, your consciousness or your mind or your awareness, whatever word works for you, to where there's room for that thought to be there, you know, that to be there. And then also any other thoughts or feelings that might be showing up there, you know. So with this, you know, with practice, what we can learn to do is, what we can teach folks to do um, is to have the thought, You know, to notice the thought, to notice that it is but a thought. It is a painful thought. Um, It is a thought that is, you know, sticky and rigid and feels very, very compelling. And yet we can have that thought and not have to do anything about it. You know, I can have the thought that, you know, my body is truly hideous. Um, you know, I can have all the thoughts connected to that. I can have the thoughts about if I could just do this, then I could finally be free from this. And all the thoughts attached to that, and it can be huge and, and you know, big and sticky and rigid. And can I have that thought and still live my life in service of something more? Know, in service of of something that you know that that may be
0: more invigorating that there may be more life in yeah that implies that somewhere underneath that thought we would have a greater thought or a value system that says hey living in service of or um, at the mercy of body hate for example or of the thought that my body's atrocious that's not actually how I really believe a life should be lived but somewhere we must have an idea that our value system isn't to live in service of those thoughts and you know Melissa we, we go
1: less after the, the belief or the idea about it and more in terms of you know what what if um, or would you be willing to try and I do and I I am working from you know the position um, or the assumption that you know that's not ultimately what anybody wants you know that that nobody wants to have on their tombstone you know finally got down to ideal weight right I mean that's not that that's not what we want. You know what we end up getting stuck in is as soon as I can take care of this, then I can live my life. You know I can I'll, I'll work on those relationships after I, I've got to take care of this first. You know as soon as I have this under control, these other things will will fall into place. And it's if we're even letting ourselves think outside of outside of the the eating disorder we can we put your in. So, you know I am working from the assumption that that's that's not. You know, enough for anybody, sort of in their hearts of hearts. Um but, you know, I acknowledge that particularly sort of in very a very active you new know, eating disorder and when people are physically very, very ill, um, that they don't really have any access to that, you know. We we you know, we can swallow up so much of our, our sort of existence. So you know, in those moments, you know, what we try to look for is is not so much arguing, you know, but couldn't you have more or can we change the belief about, you know, what's really important and can we, you know, refocus, you know, or anything like that. And I'm more, you know, try to get people in touch with something that they might already, that might already matter very much to them in their lives right now. You know, so you know, there's a there's a really old um, therapeutic technique, for example, uh, called the miracle question, and there's lots of different, you know, variations, Act. This is not unique to act, um, but the question is sort of like, and if all this were taken care of, you know, if this were just off the table, like one morning you woke up, and for whatever reason, you know, this was not here. Um, your struggle with your body was not here, you know. And, and not necessarily that you woke up feeling crazy thin, but it was just gone, you know. What, what happened, the, the question is different versions, but I might say something like, you know, what's the first thing you would do? Like, you open your eyes, and that constant struggle that you live with just isn't there, you know. Um, Whats the first thing you would do you know would you take a few moments and sort of lay in bed and feel what it feels like to be under the covers and not be you know checking um you know your body and checking in with it and seeing how every everything feels on it you know would you get up and and you know run out and have a conversation that you know you haven't had? Would you you know go outside and enjoy a cup of coffee? i mean you know what would what would you do if that was just off the table? Um and then I think from there, you know, everyone that, that I've I've worked with, you know, there's some there's something that they can access. You know, sometimes we have to reach back to before all this, you know, like do you remember? Um, before all this started, you know, can you sort of remember a time when you let yourself care about other things? You know, what kinds of things were they? Even if they feel really stupid now, even if they feel really far away now, you know, what were the things that really, that really got you then? You know, what were the things that maybe there was more life in um, before this took over? Um, And if, you know, I think the difference is in getting sort of people experientially um, able to contact, you know, something that matters, you know, that's not hating their body and not at war with their bodies. Um, Because really, I mean, the the work, you know, it's... um, it's hard it's hard work um, um you know learning to live in peace with your body that's the the biggest feedback that i've gotten about the book has been you know and, and i suppose it's a criticism um has been that it's really hard
0: you know that it's what, just what's not hard about music. it
1: yeah um i i think i think this part you know the part of it requires us to acknowledge to ourselves that there is something more important in our war with our bodies, um, that there is you know an us that we would want to be that is more than an ideal body you know for us, an ideal weight or functioning or whatever it is. Um, because the moment that we acknowledge that, the moment that we say, you know, this, there's something important in my life, we have to see the gap between who we are in that area, who we've been being, and how we would want it to be. You know so, so, if yes, I am uh in working through the book and at the very front end, you know I have to do this piece of work about or I, you know I'm trying to do this piece of work about what do I care about, what's more important than you know me hating my body right now, and let's say that I say, you know I have three kids, so let's say that one of the things that comes up is being a mother, you know, I would not you know, give up being a mother if it meant I could be thin. You know, I, would, I just wouldn't, you know, and I come into contact with that. Well, what I have to then face is that I do give up being a mother to be thin often, you know, when I'm in the grocery store and I'm puzzling over, you know, whether or not this, you know, gluten-free bread is going to, you know, whatever, and my kids are going to tell me about their day, and I'm with the bread and counting calories or, you know, with when I'm, you know, working with my, you know, meal plan and able to be present at a meal with somebody that I, that I care about, um, you know, when I'm, I'm taking sort of time and energy and resources to feed an eating disorder, I am neglecting other parts of my life. I am choosing, um, to, you know, seek thin um, and to fight my body and to let my hatred for my body take over, not just in my experience of myself or of my world, but in my actual behavior, you know. Um, And that's hard, you know. That's a hard thing to swallow. Like we said earlier, feeling bad means feeling fat, (laughs) you know, for a lot of us. So in that moment that I, you know, let myself um, acknowledge things that are important to me, I'm going to feel bad and I'm going to feel fat. (laughs) And all of those things that I do to make that go away are going to come up. And this is sort of the central, um, the central piece, I think, at least for me in the way that I practice acceptance and commitment therapy. It's really based on the idea that any struggle that we have, any psychological struggle, is really grounded in an unwillingness to feel our, the way that we feel, you know, an unwillingness to sort of have tough feelings um, and a pattern of engaging in behaviors that don't work when we're trying to get rid of those feelings and that uproot any sort of meaning or purpose that we have for our life. So we get so caught up on managing our stuff, <laughs> you know, in this case, our body stuff, that that becomes more of our life than, you know, who we are more broadly and the other things that are important to us. And that that cost, you know, that has real significant cost and it becomes a sort of cycle because as our lives become, you know, have less and less meaning, that battle with our bodies fills up more and more and more of that space until so we're left in a place where that's that's what our lives feel like, you know. Um, I mean, many of the, the folks that I've worked with in an inpatient unit you know, you know, end up coming in from that place of well, this is all that matters. It better be all that matters because it's right. all I've spent any energy or thought or on for, you know, years sometimes.
0: Right, and shifting away from that can seem so foreign and so maybe even disorienting.
1: Absolutely. Um, I mean, it can feel like dying. I mean, I think, you know, if 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 this has been what's, clarified all of your actions and all of your self-regard if it's all been around your body and you're keeping your body in line you know managing your thoughts and feelings about your body you know in this floor you know it can feel like being erased and then somebody's suggesting that there could be more um and that you know there could be things that are more important that you've actually been you know, ignoring this whole time i mean you know, it it can feel like dying. It can feel worse than dying, you know, because at least with dying you get some relief, um, you know. It's a a hard thing to sign up for. And I think that's the feedback around the book has been, you know, that it's really, this is really work. This is not a feel-good self help book. (laughs) This is not a you know, this is not a it's not affirmation, you know. It's not you're you're beautiful and wonderful and I'm gonna teach you how to, you know, feel great about your body no matter what it looks like. Um, you know, it's it's actually sort of no matter how you think and feel about your body, I'm gonna teach you to live in service of the person that you want to be.
0: Right. And it's, it's a different concept. It's not, again, not you'll always feel good. It's how to feel and continue to be in service of something more meaningful to you and not be it's in service of something that's just, what, repetitively destructive to yourself and painful. Absolutely. Yeah. So let me switch gears on you just for a minute and see Please. if you could help um, help me and help listeners understand how might one apply ACT to obsessive thoughts about food and food compulsion you know feeling like yeah. you have to eat it and you know the urge to binge and and how to deal with those thoughts and those feelings in the context of act Mm-hmm. Um, you
1: know, with ACT, we sort of break it up um, in a couple of different ways, the key components. But but the the piece that I like really um, a lot is to think about it in terms of three components, and two are really relevant to your question. So the three components would be, you know, being able to be present and aware, you know, sort of centered and aware, and, and there, present, um, being able to open up to your experience. So we talked earlier about diffusion. The other piece of that would be acceptance. And then the third piece, you know, from that center of accepting space, then taking actions towards the things that you really want in your life that you're sort of rebuilding and active recovery. Um, so, so you know, as far as how to deal with those you know, really obsessive, intrusive, you know, Compelling, very compelling thoughts around commanding, theater. demanding absolutely, um, you know what we really focus on are those those two those first two components, you know, being able to be really aware, so and even though every part of you says, you know don't pay attention to this, you can push it away, you know you can shove it down, you can turn away from it you know, once you identify that it's problematic, I mean, that's a lot of what people try to do is, that's a bad thought. Just don't have that thought. Um, and we know how ineffective that is. So teaching people to be be very, very present and aware of those thoughts and the feelings that come with them. Be aware of the situations in which those come up. Um, you know, any sort of triggering uh, situations, for example. Be aware of the emotional context. You know, um, did I just get, you know, a guide grade on my math test and now all of a sudden I'm hyper aware of, you know, the the elastic on my underwear, you know? Right. Um, so teaching people to be very, very present and, and doing a specific practice around that act as an experiential So not just explaining, you know, being present is important, but actually practicing in the therapy room, um, practicing, you know, mindfulness or or present moment attention. Um, And then the next piece being, you know, as you become present difficult stuff comes up <laughs> you right, you know. Know? Um, and so as those difficult things come up you know can you open up to those you know one thing one uh, sort of analogy that that i draw is you know early on in behavior therapy we had exposure you know whether it was systematic desensitization or flooding we have we have for a long time had these exposure-based technologies Um, And then, um, you know, Barlow sort of made big strides in introducing interoceptive exposure where, you know, we pay attention to the the sort of internal states, you know, the physical um, things that – or experiences that often accompany panic and really sort of pushed exposure to the limits there with with physical experiences. In ACT, we're suggesting or promoting an almost exposure-based approach to internal experiences that are like thoughts and feelings, you know, not just the physical internal experiences but to the thoughts and feelings. So those thoughts are very, very important to our work, not because we're trying to make them go away, but that in therapy we're actually, from an act perspective, trying to elicit them and make them present so that we can practice being with them and not engaging in the problematic behavior that comes with them. So in the same way, if I have a client that's, you know, struggling very much with, um, you know cleaning behaviors, you know I might actually elicit that and do it on purpose, put them in a situation where they are contacting germs or they're choosing to contact germs and not engaging in their safety behaviors around that, not trying to you know, prevent it or fix it, but simply learning to sit with it. Um, And that's exactly what we do and act around the problematic thoughts is can we elicit them? Can we create a safe context in therapy where they can come in, you know, to the therapy room, where they can be part of the conversation and where we can help to build skills with our clients to where they can have them. They can state them You know They can notice The size of them They can feel them It can take All kinds of Different shapes It can be You know People think about Mindfulness meditation There's certainly People in ACT Who do Mindfulness meditation Um It can be things Like physicalizing Exercises You know Where we say If that If that You know Compelling thought You know If that had a color What color would it be How sharp would it be Would it be like A dull throb Does it have a sound You know Um do you know, anything that allows us to interact with it in a way that's not just trying to get away from it or listen to it, you know
0: right and the um, more you know. it's out, the easier it becomes to be with it, the less it's sort absolutely. of like taking the punch out of it
1: mm-hmm. absolutely while, right? no, I think it's a great way of saying it, you know it's like we might be able to still notice like oh yeah there's some there's some old pain there you know, but can we experience that old pain? And then a lot of times, you know, with a lot of these very rigid thoughts that we have, you know, as the work continues, we notice more and more vulnerable layers sort of underneath the initial thought. So the, you know, the initial thought may be very body related and very, you know, um, focused on the physical, this manageable piece, this piece where I feel out of control, but I can engage in these behaviors to make me feel in under control or in Control, rather. Um, Eventually, I think we end up dealing with exposure, or or diffusion, um, or acceptance. You know, whatever term you want to use, to deeper and deeper layers of those. So, you know, it may actually be I am fat may be standing in for you know. I am inadequate, or I am unlovable, or I am worthless. Um, So the work, you know, continues sort of in, in intensity. In the same way that we might have, you know, a hierarchy from looking at a picture of a snake to actually handling a snake with someone who has a snake phobia, you know, we end up moving from the sort of, outward you know, focus on the body um, to you know, more vulnerable pieces um, that, that, may, that the, the fat focus or the body focus may be standing in for. Um, as, so it's as more of a of
0: relieving people. way to live as opposed to always being at the mercy of the thought that it's somehow more more free, as you say, more peaceful. And we may not always love our bodies, but we can be more comfortable in our own minds, not just in our own bodies. Absolutely,
1: and and you know what I tell people is, I want on their very worst day. You know, we might start with the question, you know, the, the values-focused question of, if this struggle were gone, you know, what would you choose to do? But our goal is on your very worst day, on the day that the moment you pull your eyes open. It's like, oh, gosh, here it is, you know, where that, that eating disorder is right up in your face where all those body doubts are, or, you know, body evaluations are, are right in your ear where you can just feel every part of your skin and it's, you know, terrible to be inside of. You know, on that day, I want you to be able to live your life with the same, you know, grace and intention as your best day. You know, that that's my, that's my ultimate goal is for you to still be able to act in service of the things that you want. You know, and so we do not always stop. mean being happy. No, no, no. It's like that's sort of a sidebar, you know, that <laughs> it's like you're paying attention to the wrong knob. It's like all this time you've been looking for the how I feel about my body knob and like using that to tell you how you're doing in your life you know, what if, you know, once we learn to be with those thoughts and feelings, no matter how you feel about your body, once we can experience the full range of our bodies, you know, including our actual physical bodies and the thoughts and feelings we have about them, well, then we're free to make choices that are in service of, of, you know, more values, relevant things, things that have more purpose or meaning behind them. You know, so so we don't sort of end with just, okay, you, you know, we're done with the exposure piece, we don't end there. You know, we say if we weren't spending all this time and energy and resources on this, you know, what would we what would we be doing? Um, so, you know, there is a freedom that comes with it because if you're no longer fighting a war with your bodies, if your body and the thoughts and feelings you have about it are not the enemy, um, then you can live your life according to, you know, whatever you want. And, Even and if you're not of- sure what it is yet. Even if you're not sure exactly, I mean, I've I've done therapy that was about, do you want to know what you want? Yeah. Okay, we can work on that. You know, that can be our purpose is that, you know, you want to be someone who gets to want things, you know, and, and gets to choose things. Um, you know, I, I, oftentimes with folks with um, disordered eating struggles or, or proper eating disorders, You know they're starting younger and younger I mean in my practice I'm seeing people you know who are coming in younger and younger and one of the problems with that is all that time that you spend figuring out who you are and what you want well they sort of missed that you know because they were maintaining an eating disorder they were sort of taking care of developing this whole other thing not them but this eating disorder and um, you know, a lot of times we have to start really early, like the kinds of questions that we see, you know, ten year olds starting to answer about who am I and what do I want and what am I about? Um and uh and you know, another thing that comes up is when you're sort of in that rigid place of, of linking to you know, to the body and letting that stand in for yourself, it can be very easy to let something else stand in for yourself. You know, so watching that pattern and helping people to see, you know, how easy it is just to slip into some other rigid pattern, um, you know, some other thing that can kind of tell me what to do, you know, and how to be. Um, it's you know, it's it's quite challenging, I think. Um, but I also think that it's it's. It's the change that happens whether people are doing ACT, and, and this I guess is kind of controversial, but I think um, <laughs> my just personal opinion, um, although there hasn't, you know, there's not a lot of a lot of research in this area yet. But my personal opinion is that when people recover, you know, let's talk about eating disorders specifically. When when people recover recover and show lasting recovery, those those gains are maintained. You know, I would guess that what they learn to do is. You know, what we try to target and act. That they learn body image flexibility. They learn to be with their bodies, to be with their experience of their bodies, to be with their thoughts and feelings, and to have those even as they are able to sort of move about their world and serve things that are really important to them, you know, that, that, that they learn to live with intention, no matter how they're feeling about their bodies. Um, and I would guess that even when people aren't doing acts, that that's what changes when people get better. You know, there's, yeah. there's lots of ways to come
0: at it. That's very hopeful. And on that note, I think we're going to have to wrap up, even though I have um, so many more questions for you that I would you know, love to hear your thoughts on, but I um, I just appreciate so much all of your thoughts on, on body and body hate, and especially on ACT. I think that it's such a meaningful contribution to the world of healing, and I myself am interested in getting the word out about it. So I'm really um, grateful that you've given us such a good introduction to it, and I hope it will pique the interest of, um, of my listeners. Great. And, I just want to thank you again and ask you, if anybody is interested, I'm going to um, post your um, contact information next to mm-hmm. um, next to the audio, but is there a website? I'm looking at Camellia House. Is that the best place to have people contact you through? Sure. So
1: the, the, there's an email address um, I can provide for you and a phone number. Um, You know, email is probably the best way to sort of go back and forth if people have uh, questions about the work or are looking for other resources or or anything like that. Um, You know, mostly we uh, handle clients through the Camellia House. Um, And, you know, the books and other resources are all available on New Harbinger. Um, But, yeah, email is probably the best way to get me. And
0: email through Psychology Today maybe is a good way to reach you because I know you're on Psychology Today and that works pretty well. Absolutely. So you are findable. And your yep. books are definitely findable and um again such an awesome title. I love the title. And I think that such positive hope towards relief that we can live a meaningful good life much more peacefully even when we feel hatred. <laughs> and sometimes mm-hmm. the hatred gets better. Yeah, absolutely. Thank All
1: you right. so much,
0: Melissa. Um, You are most welcome, and thank you. And I am going to sign us off now, and thanks, everybody, for listening.